generic introduction to our podcast, we watched Fatal Exposure, which means it's time for another Portland at the Movies. In a world, in a time, in a land of eternal beauty, all that stands between a city and a disaster, in a city where anything can happen, if you thought you had seen it all. This is boring. Hello, my name is Todd Workoven, and welcome to another episode of Portland at the Movies. I am joined, as always, by Mark Middleton. How are you, Mark? I'm well, Todd. Good, and of course, with us, as always, is Brian, the Unipiper Kid. How are you, Brian? Uh, I'm doing well, Todd. I'm going to stop right here. You can you can uh, trim this segment out, but I just realized I don't have my uh, headphones in, so I'm recording uh, your audio, okay, okay. too. So let me go grab my headphones. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we might actually need this segment to make this episode long enough to justify <laughs> vamp, 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 and vamp, and vamp. And we're back. I don't know. I, I totally forget where we left off, but that's okay because I want to do something that we rarely do on the show, and that is there is a huge omission like uh how did this get made has a section called corrections and omissions for when you can say oh this is what really happened in the movie or whatever so we had a huge omission last month when i failed to mention and i'm not wearing it now because it is in the wash it my what is zymo shirt that brian got me for christmas and if you listeners don't remember the fantastic movie back time had a little creature question mark humanoid question mark character in its named Zymo and the all I kept repeating for that whole review was what is Zymo because I couldn't figure it out and so Brian got me a shirt with block letters that said what is Zymo and there's a wonderful screen cap of Zymo on it and it is just delightful I think you had even in that episode said I want a t-shirt that says what is Zymo <laughs> That you is very much did. sounds like something I would have said. And so I, I made a little note. Get Todd a Zymo shirt. <laughs> you have to be careful. You really do listen to me, Brian. <laughs> you have to be careful about what you say on this show. <laughs> I don't remember ever requesting the frozen assets blanket, but that was also a delightful surprise that I texted you earlier in this week and said that it was still makes me giggle every time I see this big, ridiculous blanket with the vhs box art of frozen assets on it oh, oh and you spoiler just alert until... i was gonna say <laughs> speaking of spoiler alert you just wait until you see what your birthday present is this year oh wow that's a guarantees <laughs> for me <laughs> <laughs> so i was just looking uh this past week i kind of wanted to see actually because we the last two episodes we were like well we're, we feel like we're getting around to episode or reviewing 50 movies we've done more than 50 episodes but and so i counted the movies that we did first first i tried to remember just off the top of my head as many as i could and I got to about 30 or 35, which I was kind of impressed at myself with being able to do that. Um, and we've done anywhere, depending on how we count it, from 44 to 47 movies. And the reason that there's like a toss up is because like one episode we did Sasquatches and also Sasquatch, The Legend of Bigfoot, neither of which I remember at all. So I'm like, does that count as two movies? Does that? We did uh, a, a, the 
Tanya Harding documentary and Breakaway, the movie she mm. was in, and that was all in one episode. So, forty-four to forty-seven movies uh, we've done, um, and I put them. I I have to revisit because I've been thinking about it all week, but I put them in my list of what I thought the best was, and then all the way from best to worst, and. Spoiler alert, Frozen Assets continues to be uh, what I think is the worst movie that we've done on this podcast. So So let's just say that we were at 48 previously. So our original plan for this episode would have put this at our 50 mark. Wait, so wait, what? That sounds like fuzzy math to me. I, I mean, I'm assuming you didn't count any of the Halloween Town sequels. In oh, your... yeah, yeah, no. So I counted the first Halloween Town and then yeah. not the so not the sequel. Let's just pretend that all three sequels are equal to one movie. Um, okay. And then if we do that, we can say we were at 48. So this episode was supposed to have been our 50th movie celebration. Um, with, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. With so so, let's let's set it up. You know, we had this amazing plan for this episode, or at least I did. It sounded good in my head um, because I was so excited that I discovered that there were two movies called Fatal Exposure, and both were listed as filmed in Portland. Do you remember now why we even started looking for Fatal Exposure? Um. I th- I I thought it was, and maybe you had already known that beforehand. But I, to me, Fatal Exposure has become the shorthand yes. for every single one of the forgettable movies that we've done because we've done Fatal Revenge. I feel like there's been another exposure, but maybe no. But this was like the generic like movie yes. title that we used, right. and then it ended up that you found two of them. It that ended were up being here. a real movie that was actually <laughs> filmed in Portland, and then there were two movies, both called Fatal Exposure, and both released within a three-year span. Um, and if you go by what is written on IMDb, both of them were shot in Portland. Yes, and so. I one of them one of them is a TV movie starring Mayor Winningham of St. Elmo's Fire and it doesn't look like much else fame. Um and the other one was like this Z grade horror movie that was uh, that I ended up Mark you ended up watching that one too that I watched yep. and I don't know how much we wanted to get into that movie but at I want to hear about that, it. Yeah, so we'll talk about it a little bit but the spoiler alert by the in the end credits of the horror movie it says, you know, filmed completely on location and absolutely nowhere else than Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> so what I think happened is that somebody got the IMDb trivia mixed up and meant to put it in the other fatal exposure, got confused yeah. and then listed it in this other one. So so when I was uh, researching for this show yesterday, um, I actually found that there is a third movie that came out, get this, a year before uh, either of the other Fatal Exposures with the title of Fatal Exposure 2. <laughs> and it is, um, I think it is The maybe... foreshadowing. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, okay, so, so I, I think this we fatal... on this episode. <laughs> This Fatal Exposure 2 uh, was from Italy, um, and it's a shame that... W- Let me... Uh, these are the plot keywords listed for Fatal Exposure 2 on IMDb. 
large breasts, female full frontal nudity, <laughs> female pubic hair, female full rear nudity, and blackmail. Oh, no. Two words or one word? <laughs> yes, is this is this a financial thriller or is this a Oh my uh, gosh, that is that's blackmail insane. without a space. Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. So yeah, the the horror movie, the only thing now that I'm remembering because I watched it several weeks ago, uh was that the conceit of it was it's Jack the Ripper's grandson or great grandson. Great grandson. And that's great and he, grandson. And he, and he, he. Okay, yeah. He and gets he his energy people. from like drinking no... blood of his victims. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I remember is when I, every once in a while, and I'm, it, it's one of those mechanisms. I remember um, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys used to, uh, notoriously in the '80s, was going through some mental health issues and being kind of controlled by his psychiatrist and all of that and kind of left that behind and and um has been doing fairly well from from what i know but they asked him kind of after the 80s and stuff like that well you know you you suffer from depression and some of these other things how do you self-regulate how do you know when you're starting to go down that path again and he said well you know you look for things like you know your hygiene goes down or you forget to brush your teeth like all those basic things that you are signs of depression or whatever so i am still delighted as i watched the other fatal exposure that i still have enough life and spark in me that i could be sitting alone by myself and like hold my hands up to my face and shout at the tv which i did when Almost halfway through the movie, the Jack the Ripper character just turns to the camera and starts to break the fourth wall and narrate at us out of nowhere. Does that continue <laughs> yeah. the whole movie? No. But did he do that at that moment? It was so insane. It, it was weird. It was very weird. He he did make a couple other allusions towards uh, like towards the fourth wall, but that was... It was, it was like shocking. a two minute, two minute segment where he starts to lecture he, us. It was literally a, he turns to the camera, it's like, "Oh, I didn't see you come in. Here's my backstory, <laughs> and here's my plan." Because <laughs> it was so funny. It was uh, but yeah. sadly, this fatal exposure is not that fatal exposure. <clears throat> so, uh, Brian, do you want to walk us? Uh, give us the overview of the 1991 made for the USA television network movie, Fatal Exposure. Yeah, I'm going to need some help uh, unpacking this uh, because there is a lot I did not understand or follow in my one viewing of this film. <laughs> um, the premise seems easy enough, though. Um we have uh, Mar Winningham uh, starring as a lady. Um, <laughs> did you get Single her mom. name? I literally do not know her name. Okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, recently divorced, uh, single uh, mom, um, and she lives on an island. Um, and Spruce Island. She lives Spruce on Spruce Island. island. Um, you take the to get there. You take the ferry from St. Helens. <laughs> I was so confused <laughs> about where this movie was supposed to take place. Um, because I'm guessing, yeah, I'm guessing Spruce Island is the made up place. Yes. So it is yes. as if there is a vacation island, um, off the coast of St. Helens, Oregon. 
um, that, that has a uh, tropical themed, uh, and they have charter fishing, and they catch uh, 20-foot hammerhead sharks. And they have a lighthouse. I didn't catch the whole fishing thing. At the very beginning of the movie, they're the setting up. Oh, right, 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 right. And and they're pulling like this giant fifteen foot shark out of the water that someone had just caught. And I do I do remember being shocked that there may be giant sharks in the Columbia River. And they weren't <laughs> hiding the uh, Oregon license plates in the movie. No, um, and I I thought they said they say Saint Helens a couple times. They do. Um. Yeah, and it's obviously uh, – it is set – well, it's not set there, but it is filmed in St. Helens, so there's lots of little locations. Uh, so coming back to our list of locations is St. Helens, speaking of Halloween Town. Yeah. Um, I, I'm surprised. But yeah, it looked like a super cute little town in this movie. Yeah, and it's set up it, – the town has like a – they set it up with the vibe of a New England coastal town, but with the flair of like Key West because everyone is in Hawaiian shirts and walking around in flip-flops, and uh, they're talking about, like, they only live seasonally on the island. Um, very strange, because, of course, there is nothing like that, I think, in the entire state of Oregon. <laughs> no. no. Well, they treat it kind of like uh, like one of the San Juan Islands off of Seattle. Yeah, that would probably are... be the closest actual... And I felt like, yeah, that was that was kind of the setup. But on that island, yeah, is where Mare, Mare, Mar, I don't know how to yeah. I actually never said her name out loud, um, <laughs> where she lives with her two children. She is recently divorced. And we, we um, she goes to get her uh, film developed at the little uh, 24-hour film store in town um and she is is given uh the wrong set of photos um she takes them home and flips through these photo photos to see this uh old white-haired man uh in chicago and she is uh absolutely clueless to uh what these photos were um she assumes it must be a, a mix-up um and then later that night um as she's putting her kids down for bed someone breaks into her house um, and uh, rummages around and then realizes that the only thing that they took or did in her house were to swap um, her pack of photos with her actual photos. Um, and, and that's why I didn't really understand the rest of the movie because <laughs> going by the standard laws of logic, at that point you had your photos. If you had just left it there there would have been no plot development. Well, this movie does a very interesting thing where the plot that is un, that is laid out in the first third is almost completely abandoned and our main character accidentally stumbles into a different plot of a different <laughs> movie, like completely through happenstance, yes. <laughs> which I it thought felt, was an interesting choice. It felt very forced. Because there's something about they and I didn't I I didn't catch it either time, but so the mom is there with her two boys and it's it's um they're talking about some murder that's taken place and I don't know if that was supposed to be on the island but they kind of set up that there's this murder that has taken place because after um, lady calls the police at when her she noted she thinks someone broke into their house at night. 
the kids are like, oh, does this have something to do with the murder? And she's like, oh, I don't think so. So I didn't, They, I felt like they set it up that there was something like that, but I wasn't sure if that was ever explored or not. Well, it turns out that the, the man in the photos that she received, she just happenstance to see an article in the paper uh, talking about like a mob boss was gunned down in Chicago and she recognizes that man as the man in the photos, which she no longer even has at this point. So again, she could have just said nothing. This is like Karen, the movie, because the way this movie unfolds, so she gets her photo swapped or whatever, and she's trying to tell the police someone broke in, and the police are like, well, whatever, like, who cares now? This doesn't matter, literally, at all, in any way. But Karen, let's just call her Karen from now on, because I... Yeah. So Karen also has this, I mean, they live on those big, like, 100-acre properties where everyone's just on their own, like a very Frontiers-type island living and she has this mysterious neighbor that for no like and she even says like i have no reason to think this but i don't trust him and i don't like him and so she how does she she accuses him of something how does that work now how does he get involved that neighbor um because her the the boys of karen were kind of trespassing on his property as they yes. were exploring. And so uh, neighbor brought him home, the boy home and was like, don't come to my property or whatever. I'm very mysterious and I don't want you to discover big things about me. And so that's kind of how they meet. But then Karen then accuses neighbor of something. And I can't remember how that unfolds. I, I have nothing. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> um, it was not memorable. She ends up, telling the police on him for, for, for something that we can't remember. And then the police, as she is describing him, they, they seem to know who she's talking about based on description when she mentions that he has a scar across his ear. Right? Right. And yeah. then she takes photos of him, uh, and then sends those photos to the police and then they go to uh you know accost him and they end up in uh okay I, so i think i think i remember him. and i think i'm remembering a little bit more now and my internet connection right now is totally wigging out so a lot, there's a lot of glitching going on but i think what happens is so uh karen ha- there's she calls the police after her photos were switched she doesn't know that that plot is wrapped up technically because like the guy got his photos back or whatever. She's still wondering who broke into my house. I think she blames neighbor on breaking into her house because he's mysterious or whatever. So just, and she says, I have no reason to think or evidence to show that he's doing anything, but I think he's the one that broke into my house. And then, so she takes pictures of him brings that to the police and the police recognize the scar. And that's when she accidentally stumbles into this completely different plot with the new guy in the newspaper that she sees and like, wait, that's the guy. So we have that plot of that's the guy whose photos I have, but then also this newly introduced plot about the neighbor guy. Right. And the neighbor guy, when I don't she, understand his plot at all. When when she is talking to the police and describing him, and, and they're like, oh, could you take a photo of him and send us a photo? And then he's like, 
but but send it to me privately don't send it to the main police office you know directly to me and and i think <clears throat> those are actually crooked cops those are crooked cops that, oh yeah and and so neighbor guy explains the whole plot later in the movie uh he was undercover with the mob and the um and something happened <laughs> he was undercover with the mob and he he kept kind of going uh deeper into the mob activities i remember he stumbled upon the fact that the cops were doing some illicit deals and the cops assumed he would just play along and he right. didn't want to and he didn't okay. want to and so they uh wanted him gone and so they hired a hitman and that hitman is uh shooter mcgavin <laughs> and and so shooter comes to kill him and I, I what i don't get is like how the photos they're using the photo lab as a communication device basically they're they're sending photos via the mail to be processed and then delivered to someone else. Right. And so they take pictures of the bad guys that you need to kill. They send that, mail it into the photo lab. The photo lab delivers to the recipient and they are in, in essence accomplices to this, uh, framework sure of, and so uh, was it just happenstance that they chose this photo lab because shooter shooter doesn't live on the island um, they just chose this lab to send their photos that that are going to be the targets for shooter and, and then shooter receives those photos and then he goes out to kill those people is that right but that doesn't make sense either because shooter comes in one time to pick up the photos manually yeah and not receive them by mail so that falls apart really quickly and uh it doesn't make sense right well, so, maybe so <laughs> why are they both know. on the island um the, the sketchy neighbor obviously lives on the island um and, and he's kind well, of in a self-imposed witness protection yeah yeah what so okay so we have the two plots and we call, keep we call this this character Shooter McGavin because he's played by Christopher McDonald, who played Shooter McGavin, and which is perfect because I believe in the movie they call him Shooter at some point, which I thought was funny. <laughs> so oh, we, let's Mc... clarify: he in the in this movie he goes by um, I can't remember the name, but it's the real name of Butch Cassidy. Oh right, yeah, and, he, and he has this or... whole western thing where he wears like the the trench the coat, duster, and, yeah, yeah. And, and he has, fires with a six shooter. Yeah. So Shooter McGavin is the one who switched the pictures, Karen's pictures at the beginning, correct? He's the one yes, that I... did that because he had to get those mob pictures back. Right. So my question is Because that was his Does target. the sketchy neighbor have Right, 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 right. Does the sketchy neighbor have anything like and and the sketchy neighbor's backstory about being some informant or whatever does that have anything to do with the mob at the like before our story starts or are those just because like this is 
almost no. literally like where you I stapled think... two different scripts together and then on yes, one page two... you just went to another yeah these they they <laughs> exactly they're stapling these two plots together um because shooter his story was self-contained um and then it just so happens that the crooked police who know the sketchy neighbor they are also working with uh this assassin on on this other deal so then they just figured they would uh put have the assassin now target the sketchy neighbor so i think (laughs) i think what they must have meant for this movie to be was that sketchy neighbor was some sort of mob informant it turned out in chicago it turned and working with the those police people in chicago the dirty cops sketchy neighbor realizes that the sketchy cops are sketchy and so tries to extract himself from the situation. Meanwhile, Shooter McGavin is hunting down sketchy neighbor and gets those pictures and stuff just because that's kind of where he is in the world, hunting down sketchy neighbor. And that's where the mob and that's what the mob is doing or that's how the mob is. I mean, because the only thing that makes sense is that, Sketchy Neighbor is a target for Shooter McGavin, and that's why he's on this island and using that photo mat. It just seems really coincidental that Sketchy Neighbor decided to retire to the island, which happens to also be the location that the Crooked Cops are using for the photo drop for Shooter. And the only reason he's wrangled into this is because Karen thinks he looks sketchy. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the only reason he got roped into the story to begin with. Yeah, this whole story it's unfolds by staggering. accident, yeah. which is a super crazy thing to do in a movie. Well, yeah. Well, let This is the most in-depth we have analyzed the plot of any movie, and <laughs> not that this movie even deserves the attention we're giving it. I, and I think it's just I think it's ultimately a pointless thing because I just don't think it's there and I I mean, the more I think about it, the more I wonder, since this is a made-for-USA network movie where they're not, like, getting the most quality scripts, if they just kind of happen to have these two sitting around. Like, that's the only thing that can make sense. Uh, but she, Mayor Winning, I mean, who, do, who plays Karen, the lady, the mom, outside of all this is just the least likable protagonist of a movie I've seen in so long because she is... This bitter divorced woman who is trying to share custody and like is doing things like where her kids want to go camping with a dad for their birthday. The two boys and the mom's like, no, you're going to spin it on the island with me. Like and like all of these decisions and like bad decisions that she makes. And she's just this humorless husk of a person. And her so this was made in 1991. And I imagine I have not looked at that, but there must be some. Some entry on Wikipedia about the great fabric shortage of 1991 because Mayor Winningham is dressed in 900 yards of billowy fabric and pleats and oversized like silky shirts. And it is the most insane thing I have ever seen. The amount of pleats. And then it's like, oh, let's put pleats in the pleats so that we can pleat the pleats. It's like, it's, it's insane. 
I did not even notice. The only thing I noticed about her wardrobe <laughs> was her like baggy uh, striped shorts. Her looked like something you yep. would wear um, in in the islands, you know, in the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she but she wears one giant pair of like pants and a blousy shirt like for the entire second half of the movie that is just hysterical. So, Mark, I you can share our screen here. If you go to 2523, uh there 25 minutes and 23 seconds there is a scene where they're taking the uh Spruce Island ferry back to St. Helens. And there's a guy that um, kind of works on the ferry that opens the gate. And I want you to bring that up. And I want you to see if we can all recognize who the person opening the gate looks exactly like. Yeah. So if you can play it there. (laughs) (laughs) Is that Donald Trump? I did not catch that the first time. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that looks exactly like Donald Trump. He is where he is like kind of this uh, pitched forward, heavy set guy with stringy blonde hair in a bright red baseball cap that looks exactly like That's Donald amazing. Trump. And that made me laugh out loud. Uh, anyway. Um, I'll, I'll post a screen cap of him at uh, the Portland of the Movies entry for this site. All right. So I guess while we're talking about little things we picked up on in the movie, Mark, while you have that up, um, if you want to fast forward to timestamp uh, one hour, 13 minutes and 10 seconds <clears throat> um, and, and see if uh, if you guys can figure out oh, what is being said by I, I, I Shooter this, McGavin I here. this one already. Now, was it me or were you flirting? <laughs> it sounds very clearly like he says, "Was it me or were you <laughs> farting?" Uh, and and uh, the word is flirting, <laughs> and we need to talk about flirting in this movie because there's some creepy things going on. Uh, so. <laughs> And so uh, Shooter McGavin is is in this scene chasing down the uh, the protagonist and uh, she's running and hiding and and he's calling out to her of like, I saw you at the parade today. Uh, is it me or were you flirting with me? You know, kind of. Yeah. Just like taunting her. But uh, the 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 young college boy and he is of age and and so he is older than 18 barely uh, but he he self-describes as being in college and uh, he works at the photo gallery or the photo mat that is doing the uh, one hour photo and he constantly persistently aggressively is pursuing our protagonist and and just like shamelessly is like well come on you know you want me and it just over and over and over again and she's like oh come on scott or whatever his name is uh yeah yeah. his name was scott and yes he was aggressive and at one point so like when she when we're first kind of introduced we're setting the scene and and Karen uh, Mayor Winningham comes into the 
photo photo Matt and Scott, the college kid, is working there, and he yeah he says, "Ooh, let me give you some of that college experience." And like it's not like Mayor Winningham isn't supposed to be young. She's supposed to be the mother of like a fourteen year old and a ten year old, her two boys' age. So she's you know thirty five or or however old she is, maybe even older than that, and. So yeah, Scott is like, let me give you that that old college experience or whatever. And then later, uh, Mayor Winningham has Scott come over so that they can figure out who was dropping the photos off at the same time so they can figure out who they got switched with. And Scott's like, oh, you lured me here under false pretenses. And she's like, uh, no, I said you're going to come over and help figure this mystery out and he's like yeah but we all know that means you wanted to like have sex with me or whatever he says. yeah he says something like talk about sexual frustration uh yeah that was pretty wild i mean he was he was not he was not presented to be a creep and he was like kind of light-hearted about that yes but yes scott needed a lesson in consent (laughs) i believe so the actor that plays scott is jeffrey blake and he has been in 115 movies i saw that i was everything i was so happy for this because not only does this movie do the injustice of like making his character kind of a sleaze but three quarters of the way through the movie he is unceremoniously shot and dies and no one ever mentions him again even though we see the photo mat again we see the photo mat again we see her his co-worker who makes no (laughs) mention uh or like uh of anything and he was on a errand to give photos to karen during the shooting and so Karen comes in the, like the next day. Oh, hi, Mary. You know, and Mary's like, oh, hey, Karen. Uh, you know, what's so, yeah. Up? So this uh, a, a big bulk of this movie kind of standing in for uh, the island is Savi Island. So they have a lot of it's filmed on Savi Island. So there's lots of scenes where someone's riding a bike down one of the Savi Island roads, you know, and, and someone comes up behind him. And at two points, like one, the sketchy neighbor, when we the movie is still telling us that he might be dangerous like follows Karen down the road. Like Karen is on her bike and like gets right behind her and like forces her off the road and like to kind of set up that he's a bad guy. But then the movie as it unfolds tells us he's not a bad guy. So I don't know why he was trying to run Karen off the road (laughs) at the beginning of this movie. But the other time is when Scott, the photo mat guy, Shooter McGavin comes into the photo mat and says, I'm blah, 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 and I want these pictures. Scott realizes Robert oh, this, Parker. Yeah. Robert Parker, yes, the real name of uh, um, Shooter McGavin. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, no. <laughs> no. The sketchy neighbor? No, no. No, that's Billy, not Billy going, the kid, John. the other guy. Uh, yeah, what, what was the I'm, character? The, the historical Western character. Oh, Butch that, Cassidy. Butch, Butch Cassidy, Cassidy, thank you. Yes, thank you. Robert okay, Parker so, is the real name of Butch Cassidy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Scott realizes, oh, Shooter McGavin is Shooter McGavin. Pretends to be like, oh, sorry, the film isn't developed. Can you come back a little bit later? Scott immediately gets on his bike to bike to Karen's house to say, this is the guy. Shooter McGavin realizes he's being fooled. Uh, follows Scott on his bike, forces Scott's bike off the road, uh, holds Scott at gunpoint and takes the pictures. Has Scott, like, this is really, I 
it's this is all so glossed over. I had forgotten it happened when I was kind of watching it on Times Two this morning. <laughs> that um, Shooter McGavin gets the pitchers back and says and tells Scott to turn around and look, you know, look off into the distance. And Shooter McGavin gets back in the truck, and I'm like, oh, he's just gonna drive away because they're out in the middle of nowhere. It's gonna take forever for Scott to get back. Shooter McGavin gets back in the truck, and then we see him like cold blood execute Scott in a field and dump his body. And it's like, holy shit, like what's going on? And that is the last we hear. (laughs) And that's the last we hear of Scott. Like someone is executed in a field in the tiny town that you live. And the next day everyone's like, just completely forgotten about it. So yeah, he is executed out. Here lies Scott and his blue balls. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that his career uh, was also not taken out back and, and shot. Uh, there's also this point where we still think the cops in Chicago, uh, we don't know that they're dirty cops yet. And um, Karen Mayor Winningham is sending the photos of the sketchy neighbor to those cops. And I forget what happened, but like, all of a sudden there's this character that we don't know that hands one of the cops, the pictures and says something. And one of the dirty cops says, don't mess with me, Joey. And I'm like, who's Joey? Like, why is this incidental character whose function is to hand over an envelope, getting this whole scene of like, don't sass back. Like, who's Joey? Why are we talking about him? What's his story? Why are you bringing him into this? And then I don't, I feel like we don't see Joey ever again. It was the craziest thing. What's he call himself? Stone. He lives on Spruce Island. Where's that? Don't worry where that is. We'll take care of him. That's what you said the last time. Don't mess with me, Joey. <laughs> this time it's personal. <laughs> so who's Joey? Why is he getting such a big dramatic turn when he's like an informant giving an envelope to our cop? <laughs> uh, they clearly have a backstory. Like he's not taking any of Joey's shit. This and then we time have it's personal. Yeah, we have the greatest <laughs> line drop right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that made me laugh. I was so confused as to who Joey was. Um, so there's a point where we still think uh, sketchy neighbor is sketchy, and the two dirty FBI cops hunt him down into his boat house or into his house, and it tries to find him. Um, they end up shooting his dog, which is pretty dark. It's all off screen and you never see the dog, of course. But um, then sketchy neighbor jumps through a window to escape into the river to try to get to his boat. And he's captured by the two FBI men. The two FBI men have guns. And um, and so they're, they're going to shoot sketchy neighbor. We don't know yet that it's actually the FBI or whoever is sketchy. And sketchy neighbor is actually a good neighbor. So sketchy neighbor is at gunpoint. And Karen comes, comes, Sorry. <laughs> Karen comes out of the forest, uh, trying to in her, in her billowy parachute pants, trying to figure out what's going on and see sketchy neighbor at gunpoint and that they're going to shoot him. And so she screams, no. And so that distracts the two FBI guys, sketchy neighbors able to knock their, the guns out of their hand. And then he tack, he pushes one of the FBI guys into the water and as he's falling into the water the fbi guy gives like this blood curdling scream (laughs) 
<laughs> as if he's like being stabbed or shot. But he's like being just pushed into the water and he's like, <laughs> so funny. Well, so Tani has reason to be scared because there's 15 foot sharks in that water. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's right. My bad. I had forgotten about the. Oh, let's see. What else is going on? So how did we get from, so at this point in the movie, um, from from their sketchy neighbor um, abducts Karen, um, and and they ride away, and and then I, I really don't understand what happened from that point forward. So she, yeah, she, or... I'm sorry. So he, sketchy neighbor, escapes from the two FBI guys or whatever, and takes Karen with him and kind of holds her hostage. Um, and so they're driving down the road, and sketchy neighbors like pull over. And so Karen like careens off the road into the forest instead of just like pulling over. So that was a little strange. He like 50 miles per hour drives through the underbrush for some reason. Um, and then. God, what does happen after that? I I don't know. Like somehow Karen goes from being with a uh, sketchy neighbor, and then somehow she ends up with uh, Shooter McGavin. Um, I okay. I think maybe well, what she, happened she, is she went back to the house, right, and, to get the inhaler. And, yes, and and because um, <laughs> because sketchy where... neighbor <laughs> tells her to just leave the island, right. Yeah, but they so missed the last ferry. They did miss the last ferry. So if you know that there is like an expert marksman killer out for you and your two boys, where are you going to hide out? Well, clearly not at your house. So she doesn't stay at her house, but she stays in the neighbor's house, which is, I don't know, 50, 100 feet away because she's able to casually walk there to get the inhaler her son needs in the middle of the night. Um but yeah, in the, while they're in the neighbor's house uh, hiding out is when um, when sketchy neighbor and her kind of had of a tender moment. She kind of helps patch up his bullet wound that he got in his shoulder. The thing that I thought was hysterical, I, I forget who plays sketchy neighbor, um, but he's quite it, I, I would say he's a good 10 or 15 years older than than Karen herself. And there's two points at this movie where he takes his shirt off. And both instances, he is, you know how they hide, like, if they're, if uh, an actress gets pregnant and they're, like, trying to hide it so they'll give them, like, a giant handbag or they're, like, always be standing behind, like, a giant piece of furniture. So whenever this guy gets shirtless, like, there's one time where he's standing behind this pile of boxes and the boxes, like, there's four boxes and the second one up, which is where his, his stomach and gut is, is, like, put five inches to the left to cover up just his gut and then the second time we see him he's like hidden behind this desk and so i thought that was that is really funny about him being on set like you can't show my gut i used to be a star you know (laughs) but so they kind of fall in love as they're hiding out in the neighbor's house uh and then i guess they i think that's where then he tells karen his backstory about how He's why he's been mysterious and how why he's hiding out and stuff like that. I think. So then 
it must be the next day then when they're trying to leave that they get a flat tire or something <sighs> no they go to a cemetery <laughs> sketchy sketchy neighbor brings karen to a cemetery at, at some point and says that's the great thing about cemeteries they're always they're open. always open and i'm like no they're not <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> So Shooter McGavin is hunting them at this point because Shooter McGavin is also there kind of in the bushes at the cemetery following them. Um, and, and at and this point, then, uh, Shooter has officially received orders to, to kill Sketchy Neighbor, right? Yes, because Shooter McGavin goes to the Oregon coast, which is suspiciously close to St. Helens. But he's standing up on one of the cliffs with his elephant gun. And there's the random sheriff's deputy kid that shows up and's like, what are you doing here? And Shooter McGavin um, is like, oh, I'm just using my elephant rifle. I got this permit. And so he pulls out his second, like, secret handgun and shoots the deputy. Um, and then as Sketchy Neighbor is trying to escape on a boat, Shooter McGavin shoots the boat and makes the boat explode making the audience think that he killed Sketchy Neighbor, but Sketchy Neighbor at some point must have jumped out because he shows up later. But when, when <laughs> there's a point when that deputy is like, drop your weapon or whatever, he's got that elephant gun. And then like we see a scene of Shooter McGavin take out the hidden revolver. And then there's a, there's, <laughs> there's a shot, a wider shot so that you see that, oh no, it's a shootout. And the deputy is, they're like facing each other, but they're like, five feet away from each yeah. other and it made me it made me remember those parts of the old uh the old tv show police squad which is what the naked gun was based <laughs> off of they would always have those shootouts and they would always be single shots and when you saw the double shot they were like literally point blank shooting <laughs> at each other <laughs> so that's when yeah that's when uh sketchy neighbor disappears and the next day at the parade is when shooter mcgavin sees Karen and her kids and follows them, uh, tries to follow them. Karen and the two kids grab the thing of balloons and sneak into being part of the parade to escape from him. Yeah, and at some point before that, um, they have car trouble and uh, Shooter McGavin stops to lend them a hand um, before they realize that he's the assassin. That's right. That's right before the Port-O-Fun parade that we get to see. <laughs> So yeah, she she gets stuck looking for her other son who is out riding his bikes. Shooter McGavin wants to bring them to get some help or and you know kidnap them or whatever, but that all gets foiled, and so they escape. They escape but, through that parade. What does Shooter McGavin have against Karen and her kids? Like he's just trying to kill the neighbor, right? She knows that the neighbor, both the neighbor and. She, Shooter McGavin knows for sure that photo, Scott from the photo mat was going to her because oh. to drop off the pictures. So yeah, he, okay. I mean, he knows that she's a threat because that's who she, he stole the pictures from at the beginning of the movie yeah. during the break-in. So she, he knows that she's involved, and it and but but Karen doesn't know of Shooter yet until she figures it out at the parade that he's following them. <laughs> but it's also like what. <laughs> this movie is just very frustrating because I think it's, it's frustrating like to no, watch. 
<laughs> I mean, well, you and think you're just, just you think you're putting on USA Movie of the Week? I can turn my brain off and you know maybe enjoy it, but it, it I won't think let that you. might be almost what it's designed for because the first time. The first time I watched it, I I was watching it, but I was also doing a couple other things, and it didn't seem as confusing as when I sat down <laughs> to like watch thinking. it as a movie, <laughs> right? Because I'd walk in, it's like, oh, now Shooter McGavin has this other guy, so clearly I missed the little connective tissue of why this is happening, and then I realized that tissue was never there, and so maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was designed for when you're flipping around through channels to. Ha- stumble upon it because there are also commercial breaks in this movie um which you can find on youtube yeah and sadly they did not leave in the actual commercials no that would have been great they did leave and i'll play it at the very end of this episode all of the usa promos for like what's coming next and it's all (laughs) murder she took it she took the law too far or like all those (laughs) terrible terrible movies Clearly, um, clearly, the uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, reviewer was not thinking too hard about this movie because I kid you not, this is the uh, February eighth, nineteen ninety one Entertainment Weekly review for this movie. The last sentence is, "I've been waiting a long time to write this. If you watch only one USA Network movie this <laughs> year, this should be the one." What? No. Yep. <laughs> Maybe was it was like last a slight, day on the job. Yeah, <laughs> a slight towards the USA, like maybe damning something with faint praise type thing of like this is a USA television movie. Wow. No, I mean they say Winningham is is believably strong and untimidated. The killer proves not to be the person That's... we've been led to believe. The character, the characterizations are complex and subtle, and the plot twists twists are complex. Maybe watch the other Fatal Revenge (laughs) (laughs) or Fatal Exposure. That's crazy because like I'm 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 sure Mayor Winningham is a fine actress. I've just never seen she was in, like I said, St. Elmo's Fire, which I've never I've never actually seen. And she was a part of the Brat Pack and all that. And so I know she was and it looks like she's worked fairly consistently since then. But she is just nothing in this. She is bland and boring and bitter and. Just, uh, it it just I thought like all the other actors seemed fine, like I was okay with their stuff, but she was just so unlikable and like you'd never wanted to root for her. Her decisions were all dumb. It was just that's crazy that that review exists. Yeah. Wow. But... Did you, in doing research, did you find anything like anything interesting or noteworthy of this? I'm surprised it was reviewed at all. No, I I mean I am too. I, I there's very very little uh information about this movie online. There's this review um and then there's the uh Baltimore Sun review which uh is the polar opposite. They were not favorable. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But uh, wow. There it's... are there are 35 comments on the YouTube video <laughs> yes. including haven't what seen if... this in years. Despite poor picture quality, it was good to see. I remember this and buried alive as being the apex of USA made for TV movies. It would be nice to see a streaming service for made for TV movies of the seventies, eighties and nineties. That's a brilliant idea. That is a great idea. Wow. That is hilarious. YouTube comments. We need also Delmer says, uh, 
at uh, one hour, 13 minutes and 11 seconds, sounds like he's saying, were you farting? (laughs) (laughs) See? See? Uh, Two years Seriously, though, I think there is a market. If we wanted to start, like, the Criterion collection for made-for-TV movies and re-release, like, the the best of the worst of of made-for-TV movies, I think there's a market. Uh, So we have done a couple couple, um, TV movies on here before. We did uh, last month, actually, Paycheck. No, Payback. Uh, which I remembered doing that movie, but I could not remember the title of it when I was putting together my list. <laughs> so forgettable. So we had that. We had Chrome Soldiers. We had The Last Innocent Man. Mm-hmm. We had... Where Sarah Gets Her Wings. How, Wasn't that a TV? How Sarah Got Her Wings, A Walk in Her Shoes. Um, the, the, what was the ghost one? Uh, the Haunting of Sarah The Haunting Ellie. of Sarah Hardy. Hardy, yeah. Yeah. So where does this rate? Where does this rate overall? And then within the, within the, uh, area of what we've seen for TV movies, it's got to this will go into the pool of instantly forgettable. Yeah. It's like, this will be the one by next week when I'm trying to remember all the movies we've done, I will have forgotten that we've done completely. It's like chewing cardboard. Like there is nothing at all memorable about this movie. Um, yeah, and I I feel like now that we're actually reviewing a movie called Fatal Exposure, we have finally become a parody of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just so perfect that it's such a generic movie with such a generic title, and that is seems to be the theme of a lot of the movies that we're finding on this podcast in general. So it is it is kind of fitting, but not a great experience to sit through. That's for sure. Um, no, I mean, it, I would put this below Frozen Assets in terms of watchability. Um, Frozen Assets, yes, is a terrible movie, but it, it's kind of a train wreck. Um, I guess, yeah. I, Frozen Assets always ends up down there just because of the potential it had. Like, this mo- this movie, Fatal Exposure, didn't have the potential to be anything greater than kind of what it is. I mean, maybe if the performances were a little, you know over dramatic and a little more like that. But when I think of frozen assets and think of Shelley long, like who is a delightful and talented comic genius was given that in this mo- a movie with a preposterous <laughs> scenario being done poorly, like all of, all of that is what figured into mind. But I would love to hear you guys top five and, and, and bottom five, uh, Maybe next month we'll do our do our little celebration to hear what you guys think ends up at the bottom of this list. So, I would say our go the one that we owe the one that we always go to is extraordinary measures, that'd, that'd and right fun. now I have that as number two. But Oof. I've I've been switching around some of those as I've been thinking about it all week. So that'll be fun. Oh, the only other thing we know about sorry Brian, the only thing we ever know about Fatal Exposure is that our friend friend of the show Ted Pfeiffer. <laughs> was a part of the art department for this movie. Brian, you saw that. I missed it. Um, and so I frantically messaged him last night at like 1030. And I was like, did you work on 1991's <laughs> Fatal Exposure starring Mayor Winningham? And he's like, yes, I did. And so I said, well, do you remember anything? Is there anything notable? And um, there wasn't much, but he said it was, uh, Ted said that it was his first uh 
movie that he worked on. And so he was, you know, trying to be Johnny on the spot and doing things quickly and like getting things done and making sure things were right. And he said that one of the union members was like, hey, kid, we're going to get paid whether you go slow or whether you get fast. So you might as well go slow. (laughs) And so he got that message from them. Uh, which is pretty hilarious. Um, (laughs) But other than that, I don't think he said uh, anything else about uh, the make. Oh, he said that uh, Shooter McGavin, Christopher, Christopher McDonald uh, was uh, super in real life, was super overconfident, super overconfident, cool and a really nice guy. So it kind (laughs) of looks like he is kind of his character of Shooter McGavin in real life. So that's pretty great. I did find uh, another guy. There was another guy uh, who worked on this movie uh, as an uncredited actor uh, named Simos Kalavas. Um, and I checked out his uh, IMDb resume, and it is hilarious because these are. He just must have gone uh, from film to film to film in Portland just as, as maybe an extra because every. He's been in so many Portland movies, but every single one is uncredited. So we've got. Uh, Brain Smasher, wow. uncredited. Breaking In, uncredited. Um, Fatal Exposure, uncredited. Chrome Soldiers, uncredited. Frozen Assets, Doctor Number Two, uncredited. Doctor Giggles, high school student, <laughs> uncredited. Ironheart, gang member number three. I guess he got credit for that. Um, it, Free Willy, amusement park attendant. This guy uncredited. is the Forrest Gump of Let's our podcast. Find this guy. We need to talk to him. I mean it. I mean, it could be really entertaining to, to, to try and find oh, him totally. and, and talk to him about all these different movies. What What's his name? Um, his name is uh, Simos like Kalivas. It's a fake name. S-I-M-O-S. S-I-M-O-S-K-A-L-I-V-A-S. And he even has a bio. says he was born in Cologne, Germany. Um most known for his work in Ironheart <laughs> as gang member number three. Ironheart, one of the movies I completely forgot we did. <laughs> right? Oh wow. That's so amazing. He would be he would be a, a hilarious person to get a hold of. Oh, well, I think that kind of wraps up uh, fatal exposure. Uh, brought yeah um were there any locations that we left out um, um i know there was a scene at pdx where we got to see the parking garage oh was that parking garage at pdx yeah the the circle one oh, okay 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 yeah there was a lot of little neat street scenes on and st helens some of the old brick buildings and stuff like that so i'll put those uh, at Portland at the movies.com slash map. And you can kind of click over to St. John or St. St. John's St. Helens to see the theater in St. John's was the marquee of that was shown a couple times in a street scene and um, yeah. down by the docks and stuff like that. So, but other than that, it was, yeah, some road Cape disappointment was the lighthouse. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. They end up at a lighthouse. Um, maybe we can talk St. Helens into starting a fatal exposure uh, festival. <laughs> That would be awesome. Uh, they would have Bring that in the kids. Have that in spring and the Halloween town in fall, and they can spread out the <laughs> spread yeah. this out. And instead of the giant pumpkin, instead of the giant pumpkin in the middle of the town square, they could hang up a fifteen foot shark. 
Yes. <laughs> there was one moment at the very end that I thought was a very good visceral moment, and it's when... Um, so it's a standoff between Shooter McGavin and Sketchy Neighbor. <clears throat> Sketchy Neighbor loses his gun, and it looks like Shooter McGavin is going to shoot him with his secret pistol again. And then out of the out of the background, Mayor Winningham shows up with a fish gaffer, one of those big long poles with a hook on the end, <laughs> and just s- and stabs him in the arm with that gaffer. And I was like, huh, that was terrible. So that was pretty great, but... They can hang that next to the shark at the festival is the gaffer. And you can have your your, pic- your picture taken by the gaffer that took Shooter McGavin down. Ah. Um, the, the only other thing that I noticed worth mentioning, and, and I always love to see in movies when they use uh, real-world products, especially like toys and foods that no longer exist, um, so the, the, uh, one of the two sons in the movie twice, he plays, uh, with dinosaurs, yeah. but they weren't just, they weren't just any dinosaurs. They were dino riders, um, which was from the amazing Tyco toy line that combined, uh, dinosaurs and just strapped all kinds of laser weapons on them so that the dinosaurs mm-hmm. could battle with laser weapons. And they are a well-remembered toy line that I uh, absolutely loved uh, growing That's up. That's hilarious. I wondered if that was what that, if it was a toy that was, but it was so blurry and I didn't have one. So, it, but it did look like a dinosaur that just had a bunch of stuff attached to it to make people ride it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Nice. Well, Unipiper, what, what, what's happening in your corner of the world? <laughs> um, I am going to be, I'm doing a, a cool project uh, with uh, Mike Bennett uh, that I'm... <gasps> really? Um, yeah. I'm um, going to be, uh, it's a secret right now, but um, pay attention uh, maybe late this upcoming week and you might hear more about that. Oh, that's awesome. For all the, nice. I'm surrounded by tons of creative people who do lots of very interesting and very diverse things. But if I could choose to have the gifts of any one of them, I think it would be Mike Bennett just because it's so cheery and wonderful and wholesome. And so, yeah, I love his stuff. He's doing a new series with phosphorescent paints, which looks pretty cool. So for sure, check out Mike Bennett art on all the social media. Um, what else, Mark? Is there anything coming up for you? It's going to be your birthday pretty soon. It's going to be, uh, isn't, is I can never is it today or the third that's yours? My birthday is the first. Which the first is, today, which is tomorrow. Monday. Yeah, so tomorrow. technically we're doing this. This is still our January episode. We're getting it in on the thirty-first. Uh, but yes, the first is my birthday, and the tenth is your birthday. Yes, and so um, we have a podcast called the Bark and Toddcast, and we uh, talk about things going on in Portland and in science and it's uh kind of fun and an upcoming adventure will be two old men with their metal detectors on a beach somewhere which is going to be (laughs) our birthday celebration so check that out live stream that shit (laughs) all right well i am astonished that we got an hour out of this completely uninteresting and boring uh, movie fatal exposure but it was certainly fun discussing it way more so than um watching it even though i did enjoy that shooter mcgavin drove a really kick-ass soft top jeep the whole time does this mean we can't make the fatal exposure being a movie joke anymore can we still refer to fatal exposure for a generic movie 
I think we Absolutely. still will because we'll forget that it was a real movie. <laughs> we'll be like, movie. wait, did we make that up or did we watch that? So it still works on many levels. Okay, so. good. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it. Listen to us on Fun Employment Radio and go check out their stuff. Uh, Greg Nibbler of Fun Employment Radio also has a new um, company called Two Box Media. That's T-W-O, Box Media spelled out. Um, and you can find that on all social medias and on YouTube. And it is a uh, bi-weekly tech, sh- tech wrap-up show that he is doing um, and just starting. So check that out if you have a chance and you want to uh, follow some tech news. Um, but other than that, we'll take you out with the great... Uh, ads uh, promos at the end of this movie that played at the credits to get you to stay tuned to the USA Network. So we'll see you guys next time. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. Weekend hikers seeking the thrill of a lifetime get more than they bargained for when they're stalked by a vicious killer. This is David Dukes. Don't miss Patty Darbinville, Terrence Knox, and me in a gripping USA world premiere movie Snow Kill. Wednesday at 9, 8 Central. Stay tuned to USA, America's favorite cable network. McCall pulls a tugboat captain from a sea of corruption on the Equalizer one hour from now. But first, a deadly assassin sets his sights on Peter in Counter-Strike right after this USA update. Next.